I'd like to read verses 9 and 10 to you this morning. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Let's pray. Once again, our Father, we come to you in prayer. It is so important to remember that we are relying on you for everything. You call us to pray, to come boldly to the throne of grace, and we thank you for that privilege. Thank you that we can have the assurance that you hear us. And Father, we thank you so much for the written word of God. It is not ours to change, not ours to do with as we will, but it is ours, Father, to simply convey to others so that through the preaching of the word, people might hear and come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might grow as the Spirit of God applies it in our hearts. As we come to this passage, Father, we pray once again for the Spirit of God to accomplish his work with each one of us. We thank you so much for what we have just celebrated, and what we have just recalled of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Guide us now in our study of the word, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've entitled this morning's message, Biblical Instruction to Slaves. And I want to mention to you that it's at least one of two parts, possibly three parts, to the message, which might sound a little strange to you at first. As we are in chapter 2, Ta- uh, Titus excuse me, has been addressed by Paul in several areas of specific responsibilities. Responsibilities, let's remember, of believers. That is what he is addressing. Specific responsibilities that believers have as members of the body of Christ. If you here today just partook of these elements and did it routinely, you and I are responsible for representing Christ in every aspect, and we have responsibilities as a member of Christ that have been put on us. He has been addressing specific groups with Titus to help him there on his island of Crete. He has addressed older men, younger men, older women, and younger women. Now he comes to the last group in this chapter to address, it is slaves. As you can see, when he says, urge bond slaves. If your initial reaction is like mine, is when I come to a passage like this, we probably think that it has little, if any, relevance to us today. We are not under slavery. I don't believe there's many, if any, in this room that have lived under slavery in its truer sense. Very few, if any, in this room have experienced the death, the hangings, the beatings, the segregation, the terrible abuse that 
has happened and been associated with slavery. Most of us in this room have grown up in the United States of America, and all we have known is, quote-unquote, freedom. As Christians and as believers, and we just rejoiced about that. We sang about it throughout the morning, the grace of God and how he has freed us. And we talk about freedom. One of the hottest topics of Christianity today is freedom, liberty, Christian liberty, and freedom. And so, and it should be, by the way. And those things are very important. But when we see passages like this, since we're not under slavery, we may not see relevance to the passage. And now Pastor Dan's talking potentially two or three messages, and maybe three only because with Communion Sunday. And, and where's the relevance? Or the other thing that normally comes into the Christian's perspective is that now what I need to do is move from this realm and simply deal with it as an employer-employee relationship. Let's not consider slavery. Let's not really think about slavery because it's not relevant today. It's not relevant to us. However, there's application, so let's whatever we see there, we'll just put it in the area of employer-employee relationship. Or we sometimes don't see the relevance of the passages dealing with slavery because we simply think of it as an unbiblical situation, a bad situation. There's very few people that I know when they talk of slavery or study slavery or think of slavery, if they, those things ever even happen, that they think of it in a good sense. It's usually thought of in a bad sense. And so our initial reaction may be, come to a passage like this, let's hurry up and get through it because there's really not much relevance in the 21st century and certainly not to believers who are free in Christ and certainly not to people like us who live in the United States of America. The truth of the matter is, it is very relevant to every one of our lives. In fact, you might find it fascinating if you were to take the time and do a study of it to see that this has been one of the greatest teaching tools of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The illustrations and the teaching that comes from the Word of God is absolutely amazing, and I won't get into the depth of it right now, but let me just call to your mind a couple of things that I know you're familiar with. Do you know that the Kenosis chapter, one of the most debated and studied chapters of Scripture, has everything to do with slavery? Jesus Christ, who is above all, laid aside his glory to become a slave for us. When you look at the table of the Lord and you look at the setting in which that is found, it was the Lord who submitted himself we like the term servants. But he submitted himself as a slave and wiped the disciples' feet. Let me go way ahead of ourselves. Do you know that in heaven, if you're a believer today, you will have on your forehead a new name? That is found in the book of Revelation. Do you know that that absolutely has to do with slavery? 
as you will see maybe today, if not next week. And you will see that there is teaching throughout Scripture in which the Lord used something that was absolutely relevant to the day and is relevant to Christians today to help people to understand the things of God. Not only that, to properly exegete and to interpret this passage, one must understand, and it is necessary to go back to the historical setting and understand slavery. So with that in mind, let's get right into it this morning in which we will begin to touch upon it and we will deal with the first point in the outline given there on the bulletin. The reality of slavery. Well, you say, what's that? What's the, what do you mean by the reality of slavery? Here in the 21st century, I've got to believe that as we even sit here and contemplate this area of study, most of us would probably go back to pre-Civil War thinking when we talk about slavery. What do I mean? That which is related to President Lincoln, that which is related to this country, that which is related to the North and the South and the fights and all of that that went on. And as a result of that, when we think about slavery, when we think about these things in the light of pre-Civil War times, we probably think of it that it should have never been, that never should have been slavery. We think of it as something to just be condemned, something that is even bad or something that, to go a step further as Christians, is unbiblical. Many have blurred the issues because of that type of thinking and it misrepresents a lot of things that affect us today, such as what? Equality. The whole concept of equality. The whole concept of social statuses. The whole concept of equal rights that is going on today is a total misunderstanding of this area of slavery. The concept of roles and whether or not there should be roles in life, in marriage, in society, all is affected all the way back to this concept. The application is found in men and women issues that we are faced with in this 21st century. The concept of rich and poor and the equality, all of those issues are affected by this. Equal opportunity that is in schools, that is in jobs, that is in our living environments are also affected by this. The concept of a minority, whatever that is. And I'll, I'll tell you this, today usually the minority really is a white male. You deal with the society today, the way things are applied. All right, so there are some things that we need to look at and understand about this because it does affect even our living, and you'll see what I mean in a few moments as we get through this reality. The fact of the matter is, and let's go back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll get right into the slavery part of it, but we need to take a step back. We've done this many times in many areas, but we forget it. The fact of the matter is all human beings, all human beings, have been created in the image and likeness of God. And I know you would say amen to that. 
But you go to Genesis chapter 1, and you look at verses 27 and 28, and it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we're very familiar with this passage. Man has been created in the image and likeness of God. What has he been told? He's been told to populate the earth. He's been told to rule over the earth. And he's basically been told to discover what God has as we learn about God. And so all human beings, as you want to talk about equality, there it is. All human beings have been created equal. However, right away we even see in this passage roles. While created equal, God had a role for the male and he had a role for the female right away. Our society wants to change that. But right away, God said he created them male and female, and we can see the seedlings of roles that are different, not the same. We also find very early on in Scripture, but I'm going to recall actually a, a New Testament passage to you, that socially there has always been rich and poor. In fact, let me recall something that you'll be familiar with. What did the Lord say in Matthew 26 about the poor? Anybody? You'll always have them with you. You will always have. And yet our society is moving fast in the United States of America that everybody has to be on equal ground. And there's not going to be a poor or a rich. We'll just have everybody the same. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said you'll always have the poor. There has always been the social differences in the world since Genesis. Thirdly, there has always been a difference in ability. Turn with me. I had you stay in Genesis. That's why I didn't go to the New Testament on that one, uh, that passage. I just referred to it. But Genesis 10. Go to Genesis chapter 10 for a moment. This is after the flood, by the way. And just for simplicity... I want you to see, and then you'll see where we are going as we get back to slavery. In Genesis chapter 10, and in verse 9, it says, And he became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. <coughs> Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. What am I trying to point out there? There were differences in skills. We see that today. We see it in Genesis. God created man equal, yes, but immediately he had a difference in roles. Immediately we see that God created man equal in his sight, but that doesn't mean that everybody has the same skill. And I could go on in Scripture in these areas. That means you don't have the level of, uh, level of skill that everybody else has in the abilities that God's given you, and even in intelligence, even in the ability to earn money. Everybody is different. They're not equal in that sense. Biblically, that's not true. God has given social status. He's allowed it. God has given roles in life. He's allowed it. And God has given skills. And when we talk equality in the 21st century, 
when we think about equality and we get into social issues like men and women's roles, like slavery, we already are biased in our thinking. And we think everything has to be on the same level. And that's what equality is. We are not equal on every level, nor will we ever be on every level. Man concentrates, and I want you to catch this part, man concentrates on trying to change that outside stuff. What do I mean? The outward, the environment. In other words, the reason they're the way they are and their behavior is it's the social environment. They were brought up in a poor area. If I take them and put them in a very rich area, we take the poor and make them rich. We take the slaves and make them. Now, some of you were here for that in Proverbs when I applied it even to the United States of America. Proverbs says very clearly a country is in trouble when a slave becomes a king. And that is what you have in this country right now. Someone who is not necessarily a slave by true terms, but someone who was in that and, and is trying to apply everything that he grew up in to apply to a situation, and a country can be in trouble with that. Why? Because there are differences. We try to change that environment and improve. Now listen, improvement is good. We should seek that in life. We should seek justice. We should seek to improve our opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you continually concentrate on the outward alone, such as being a slave, such as being a man or a woman, such as equal rights in this situation and that situation, you will never get to changing the heart. And all you will end up with is a dignified sinner. That's all you'll end up with. God's concentration is on the inner man, and I know you know that. But it is on changing the inner man, and he wants to concentrate on the heart, on the attitude. And we're going to see, even with slaves, that is the idea in a text. He's not going to try to get them out of the slavery. He's going to concentrate on how that slave is to behave and what the attitude of that slave is to be, what their thinking is to be, what their attitudes and that is true in every one of these areas that I've just talked to you about socially. It ought not to be whether I'm rich or poor. What is the attitude that you have or I have? It is not whether I'm a man or a woman. What is the attitude that you have with what God has given you? It's not what skill you have or don't have. It's what is the attitude and how is your life before God? And that was also true in this area of slavery. It wasn't just to get on an equal level. I'll be jealous of somebody else. I'll be complaining about the situation. God, we're going to see, wants to concentrate on the heart. And with every position that we're in, the key is what is our heart, what is our attitude, and what are we doing? In fact, I want you to see, go with me to Romans chapter 6, that every single one in this room is a slave. You say, no, I'm not. Well, if that's especially coming from a Christian, you're in trouble. We are all slaves. We are all slaves. We don't think that way. We don't want to think that way. Now, I read in the response of reading in a safe time in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, because this situation dealt with 
we sang about grace all morning. In the prior chapter in Romans, it says where sin abound, grace did abound. Help me out, what? Much more. Much more did the grace of God abound. And strangely enough, Christians were having the attitude, well, I've been saved. God's grace abounds, so now I can live in sin. And maybe, in fact, we ought to live in more sin so that his grace can shine. What kind of thinking is that? If you're a Christian now, you ought to be living in that grace. And that's what he's been talking about. And you'll notice in the first 14 verses as I read it, that it talked about how to present our bodies and how to present our members of our bodies as instruments and to walk as those that are alive from the dead and that we've been crucified with Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 6, and here's where I want to pick it up. I want to pick it up in verse 16. Well, let me pick it up in 15 since we read through verse 14. Let me pick it up there. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Now watch. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, catch that one, we're really on in this, but catch that. Slaves for obedience. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting resulting in righteousness. There is no in-between. You are either presenting yourself as a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. But then he goes on because he's dealing with salvation here in believers. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you were. Who is that? Anyone who has not yet come to Christ and anyone who has come to Christ before they came to Christ, you were basically a slave to sin. What does that mean? You were bound to basically fall into disobedience to God. You might yield to your own flesh. You might yield to the world. You might yield to the devil, any one of those areas. But the bottom line is that's what it would produce in your life. You were chained to it. We sang about that. You were chained to your own self, selfish desires. You were the center of everything, and you did what you wanted. But then he says this. After talking about thanks be to God, you were obedient to that, but now what? You became obedient, watch this internally from the heart, to that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed, you have now been freed and become, now notice this, what does it say? Slaves. It uses the word. It's doulos. It's bond slave. That's what it is. You are a slave to righteousness. That's the way we ought to view ourselves. Oh, I'm not a slave to sin. Shouldn't be. But you haven't, while you've been freed and the chains have been knocked off, you are still a bond slave. You and I have been purchased with a price. And this is the central issue. This is what we need to remember that we do not belong to us. Oftentimes what happens in Christianity, and this is why I'm going to go back to look at what is a slave's life really like. What was slavery? And what was the concept even in Scripture? Why am I going to go back to that? Because often, here's what happens. A person is an unbeliever. I can go back and relate to it in my own life. And all of a sudden, 
God opens your heart and your mind to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is because somebody preaches the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And it's wonderful. And you don't want anything to do with that old life. And you're so excited about the things of God. And you want to read the things of God. And then what happens in a period of time, all of a sudden you don't know it and don't realize it, but you are now a slave to yourself. And all you end up doing is playing church. And while we say, yes, I know I'm a slave of righteousness, I'm a slave of God, we give God about this much time in a 24-hour day. It's when I had my devotions. And then we go on the job and behave like an unsaved person. Or then we go in an environment with all the media that's available to us and we become like an unsaved person. Or whatever it is that we do. And God's only had this little time in our life. And we haven't got time to read the word. We haven't got time to pray. We haven't got time to serve. We haven't got time for this. We haven't got time for God. But I'm a slave of Christ. The only one you're fooling is yourself. You haven't got a concept of what slavery is. And that's what we need to say. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9, I won't turn there for time because I do want to get to a couple of things this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23 particularly, he said, I become a slave to all men. That's what Paul said. To those that are without law is those without law. But in that whole thing, he said, I'm still under the law of Christ because I belong to him. I became all things to all men. Why? Because he saw his whole life as slavery. Is slavery. Now let me give you some points today that I want to cover that I think are important. Generally, slavery has been a part of the social structure from the earliest of times. Whether you realize it or not, listen carefully. The scriptures neither condemn, what did I say? The scriptures neither condemn nor condone slavery. Did you know that the scriptures do not condemn slavery? Genesis to Revelation. It doesn't condone it, but it doesn't condemn it. The biblical issue has been, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament alike, has been two different things. On the master's end, you will find in scripture, that God's concern was always how the master treated the slave. It didn't prevent him from being a master. God dealt with a hot issue because they were never to abuse the slaves. And on the slave end, he dealt with the attitudes and actions of the slave. That's what he dealt with. In fact, I'll get a little ahead of myself, Paul came down and said, are you a slave? Don't seek to be free from slavery. Isn't that interesting? But if you do get free, then enjoy it. We'll get there. But he basically said, that's not the issue. You see, the master's issue was, don't abuse those that are under your care. The issue with the slave was, what is your attitude? What are your actions? Why? Because many of the slaves were rebellious. 
because many of the slaves were jealous, because many of the slaves were complainers, because many of the slaves held their masters in disdain. And that's what God dealt with right throughout the Scriptures, how the slave is to behave. In fact, you're going to see it in our context in Titus. That is what he's going to say. He's going to say, here is how the slave is to behave. And he's going to give us that. Some early history. I want you to go back to Genesis now, just for a couple of things quick. Genesis chapter 9. There is an interesting book, by the way, that I would recommend. And it happened to be written by John MacArthur, but it was, I think the title of it is Slave, if I remember the title correctly. And the reason I say that is because he deals with the fact that the Christian has totally lost the concept because he wants to say that he's a servant, he wants to serve, and has totally lost the concept of the fact that a Christian is a slave, a slave of Christ. And we've lost the concept of what that is. If you go back to Genesis chapter 9, I did that for a reason. If you quickly look at verse uh, 25, I want you to notice in speaking of Ham, way back in Genesis, after the flood, the Lord said this. And there was sin involved here, but he says, Cursed be Cana. And what is Cana going to be? He mentions it right away. He says, Servant of servants. He's going to be a servant of servants. He's going to have a difficult life. What? He is going to be the lowest slave on the market. That's what he's saying. Literally. He's going to be the lowest. He shall be to his brothers. In other words, he is going to be a slave even to his brothers. He's talking about Ham there. If you know Genesis 15, let's turn there. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, actually, go back to Genesis 12. I probably should go there. You know, Abraham and all the promises that were given to Abraham. What was also told to Abraham in chapter 15? It was told that, go to chapter 15 and look at verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, the terror of darkness. And then he goes on and says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved. You know the story. Israel became enslaved, and then you've got the deliverance out of Egypt and out of that bondage. It's a visual, visual aid for us about being delivered out of the bondage of sin and death, yes. But God even predicted it. He said, my own people are going to be slaves. I won't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 34, what happened? Joseph became a slave. He was sold into bondage. And I'm just giving you some samples. In the New Testament, we have Philemon. That far in our New Testament, what was he? A slave, literal slave that became a believer that we'll talk about when time goes on. And what I'm trying to point out is you go through the scriptures, we think slavery is irrelevant. We think slavery is a bad thing. We think slavery as we knew it in this country. But slavery has been a social difficulty and uh, something that even was accepted throughout ancient times and obviously in Roman times, which was the time of our New Testament. And there are sample examples of slaves. Some of the passages, if you want to do some reading, I'll give you something to get ahead of yourself to get ready for what's coming. Some of the passages that deal with slavery are found in Leviticus chapter 25. 
Deuteronomy chapters 15 and 20, the entire book of Philemon in the New Testament, and this may surprise you, but 1 Corinthians 7, Galatians 3, Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, and 1 Peter 2. We're going to look at those. All of those New Testament passages, Paul had to address slavery. Why? It was real. And never once did he say, slave, rebel against that slavery. Slave, have a bad attitude. Never did he say that. He was concerned about this new life in Christ because drastic things had taken place. Slaves were now on the same level, equal in Christ, yet they still had a position that was different. Major, major changes. Israel was to treat their slaves like an employee. That's why a lot of the employee-employer relationships are dealt with. Time is going by. Oh, it's almost noon already, and I didn't even get to the foundation. I want to tell you this. I want to simply address, how did a person become a slave? There were many ways, but I will give you this as a taste. Oftentimes, people wanted themselves to be put into slavery. You know why? Because they were poor. It was a means of providing them with food and shelter. And they counted it a blessing to have someone who would be over them, who would provide that for them, and they would gladly work at their disposal. But where we're going to get with this is a slave understood that basically they were owned. They were owned. They could be directed in any way possible by the master. And when we say that we are slaves of Christ, and we are, and we just partook of this, we are reminded that this is what bought us. We have been bought with a price. We belong to Christ. He is our master. Whatever he requires, we have no right to rebel. If we are poor, if we are rich, I'm not saying don't try to improve. You have no right to complain. If we are not as well off as somebody else, if we are not in a situation like somebody else, we're not to complain. We're to reflect Christ at every single level. If Christ wants us to serve when we read the word of God, if Christ wants us to be obedient to our husbands, if Christ wants us to love our wives, if Christ wants us to use words that are fitly spoken and adequate for the moment, if Christ wants us to serve in the body of Christ, if Christ, he's got every right to demand that of us all the time, 24-7. Not Sunday morning. Not one hour on a Sunday and God should be glad that I showed up. But 24-7, when we walk out of this building today, we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death. And if you're a believer, you walk out of here as a free man, yes, but as a slave of Christ, ever at his beck and call. Well, you already probably have your whole day planned out, even if it's just going home and going to sleep. Are you ready that if God wants you this afternoon to respond to another brother or sister in the Lord, 
to serve or to fill in another capacity, to be involved in a visiting of somebody or whatever it might be? Or are we busy? I already gave God my hour. And reading the word, how much time do we spend really reading and applying and praying? We talk about it. But we are bond slaves of Christ. We belong to him. What better master to have? We have the best taskmaster, if you will, who not only told other masters how to behave, but was the one that created us all, and he himself laid down his life for us. He himself wants us to have a life that is full of joy. He himself wants us to have a life that is more abundant. He himself has prepared for us things that we cannot even begin to imagine awaiting for us in glory. That's our master. Slavery was real. We'll look at that. And slavery is still real, even for the believer. Oh, yes, we don't have chains around us. We have a loving, serving Savior, and he is serving because he is gracious with us as we've been singing all morning long. But folks, we belong to him. We're not our own. We are to be concerned, every one of us, starting with the person in the pulpit. We are to be concerned about our attitudes. We are to be concerned about our actions. We are to be concerned about how we're representing our master. We will see that the slave did everything he could. He wasn't concerned whether his master got rich. Talk about application today. All of these protests about how the company's making money and I need to have a right to that money. No, you don't. You've got to be thankful you got a job. You've got to be thankful you got a job. Because he's providing that for you, even in that application. We ought to be thankful that God's given us an opportunity to serve. We ought to be thankful for what God has provided, freedom from death, freedom from eternity in hell, and the ability to remain on earth and to be a testimony for him. It's only the beginning. I know that we didn't do it justice this morning with the time we had, but let's look to God in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that the example for us was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Though he was creator of all, he took on the form of a bond slave. He was abused. He was beaten. He was scorned. Yet he opened not his mouth. He came here and knew no sin and yet submitted himself to the cross in accordance with your will rejected of men, and yet one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's not only coming as an example, but he's called us and paid the price and bought us out of the slave market of sin, called us to himself. Father, I pray that every Christian here today would be more appreciative of the cost of our salvation and truly we would see ourselves as being a slave of Christ, not one to direct our own lives, 
to be concerned about how we serve our master with our actions, with our attitudes, that, Father, you might be glorified. And I pray, Father, if there are any that do not know Christ that are here today, that they would see that they're a slave. They might think they're free, but they're slaves to sin. And I pray, Father, you'd help them to see that they need to come to Jesus Christ, the only way, truth, and life, the only one that can provide salvation and relief from those chains and the bondage of sin and death. And I pray that they'd come to trust in him. Father, guide us, help us, use us for your honor and glory as we leave here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes? Don't forget the offering.